Ms. Brianna, thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Barons today. I'm really excited uh, to be here. So thank you, Joy. You know, it's so thrilling for me when we get to interview folks who are in the oil seed and fiber space. As many of the listeners know, I've been involved with hemp for some 30 years and, of course, from an oil seed and fiber perspective. And hemp extract and CBD, of course, took us all uh, by surprise, kind of blindsided us about six years ago, and we're so grateful for hemp extract and CBD for drawing so much attention to the massive potential um, of this plant, and, and it's so exciting. Uh, as infrastructure builds here in the United States for the many uses of this versatile, valuable plant uh, when we get to interview folks who are really involved with it and, and taking charge. And you are, are a star, really, because you have come to hemp, uh, not just with your enthusiasm and not just with a very deep background in grassroots activism that I'm really excited to, to talk about as we move further, but you are uh, quite an accomplished executive. Uh, you come from Under Armour, um, several years in Under Armour, as well as Prana for nearly three years um, as associate production manager, sustainability analyst, corporate social responsibility, um, executive positions. And you're taking all that you've learned and all of that passion and all of that great experience with those large um, successful companies and delivering it to hemp and the promise of hemp. Miss Brianna, what brought you to create this incredible hemp towel and tote bag company and act? Tell us about it. Wow. Uh, I'm just going to go do like a quick round uh, around the track because that was like such a great um, inspirational summary of myself. So thank you <laughs> for that. Um, yeah. So, you know, what really led me uh, to hemp was my work in the textile industry and seeing the disconnects and seeing how broken the system was, meaning that it was, it operates on this almost two year uh, calendar product creation process. So designers are forecasting years out um, to try to sell, which creates lots of issues um, if their designs don't hit the mark. So there's a lot of excess inventory and we just, are, they we're not designing for end of life. And on top of that, we're also um, the impact of how these products are being made that are happening on um, people and the planet. And it's so removed for the U.S. market in regards to that entire supply chain. And I just really was frustrated um, working in that corporate space for these brands, but not seeing the things I felt <clears throat> needed to change fast enough because uh, there just wasn't that, you know, leadership happening. There just weren't people who um, were, I didn't see uh, who were doing it. So I knew that I wanted to be a part of that. I just didn't know what that looked like. And I never expected it would be as a business owner. I thought it would be as a consultant or um, continuing to work within the brand space. But really 2016, I would say, I um, remember leading up to the election and just like the chaos of people saying, this won't happen, things, you know, we won't do this, we won't go backwards, and um, seeing it all happen. And so for me, it was this, I was in LA at the time, and I woke up in the morning, and I realized, okay, it is, we have to do this. I can't expect someone else to do, um, to fix the things I've seen, and especially with the climate crisis, to um, acknowledge the role that textiles play. So 
that was the lead up to it. And then the decision around um, working with hemp really came from my own personal problem. So it was kind of, I knew I, what I knew in, in 2016 that I was ready, um, that I needed to take ownership and I didn't know how that looked. And so I kind of started looking around me to see, to look for those clues. And, um, I remember, uh, I had these like towels that were supposed to be super sustainable that were picking up this really gross mildewy smell. And I was really frustrated and everyone always asks in sustainability, you know, what brands do I buy from? Where do I go? And I just didn't feel like I had anyone I could recommend um, because I didn't, my personal um, problems weren't being met. I didn't have a washer or dryer. I didn't have a towel I could trust. And so that really teed me up um, and I, for what is now an act because I wanted to create a product that would solve my own personal problems. And hemp just happened to be a part of that. Uh, solution uh, when I was working in China and, and I learned about it and I was like this is awesome I should have a hemp towel I should have XYZ and I didn't see anyone doing it on the market so I just started connecting the dots and I and I saw the boom of cannabis I saw everyone gravitating towards CBD and I knew there were these other end uses and I felt like I had something that could contribute and that people would um, naturally be wanting to figure out why we don't have infrastructure to manufacture here. And it was a great opportunity. So those are the main pieces that were driving me uh, to create an act. Well, we're so glad that you did create an act. And indeed, we are the ones we've been waiting for. So you're, you solved your own problem and you're solving problems for the rest of us. And my entire Enact hemp towel set has been shipped and it's on its way to me right now. And I cannot wait uh, to receive it. Now, we have an infrastructure problem in the United States. We used to, at some point, long ago, manufacture textiles. And my understanding is that a lot of those, that machinery and equipment, metal as it is, is either sunk into the ground, recycled, or sold off to other countries um, that are also not using the textile um, machinery right now. So we do. We have, and, and I see here, of course, also that part of your vast experience um, at the executive level with these other uh, clothing companies is also as a supply chain consultant. So tell us a little bit about what you know about the textile infrastructure here in the United States versus, of course, China is so far ahead of us, and particularly with hemp. They discovered what I call the post-prohibition technology of degumming hemp or delineating it, separating the linen from the fiber bundle. So they, they're quite ahead. But what do you see in terms of supply chain for textiles in the United States, particularly uh, hemp. And then if I could trouble you to also talk about tariffs that we're contending with right now, particularly you and those in the hemp textile industry. Sure. And thank you so much for your support. That's one of the things that, you know, we try to communicate to people because people want me and people buying in the U.S. want made in USA manufacturing, but they don't realize it doesn't exist. And one of the only ways that it will exist is by creating a market so that farmers and processors will invest in it um, because they'll know where they're selling to. So that's something that's super important um, when we talk about the manufacturing component, because so many people want to create those certain guidelines or specifications that they you know, want in order to purchase, but they're not realistic. And um, really this 
industry for textiles specifically has left decades ago and is built on a really unsustainable model of chasing low-cost labor and is usually the first industry in to um, developing countries. So right now the conversation is that the industry will um, go to Africa. That's the last continent it hasn't gone to yet. And so when I saw that trend happening, I really didn't want to see what the textile industry can do um, from an, just an environmental um, component to countries in Africa. And how could we invest in automation and robotics and think like an Elon Musk in regards to innovating so that we can invest and have it here in the U.S.? Um, there's a lot of people who talk about that they can do hemp textiles. And everything. And at first, I believed everybody. And when I was first sourcing and looking to how to manufacture, and then when I realized, when I started asking, "Can you show me a sample of yarn? Can you show me a, you know, um, fabric? What do you have?" Nobody could show me anything. Um, so that was like, and that's kind of been um, the situation to date still. There's a lot of, you know, people who will constantly be reaching out. Um, but as a startup and, you know, right now I 100% own the company. Uh, we just don't have that R&D or capabilities to, like, you know, invest in that with other people unless they've done the investing themselves. And I will, I do get a little frustrated. I mean, I haven't done it a lot lately <laughs> and I love Patagonia. But they, you know, will will say certain places in Kentucky and Colorado are doing um, hemp fiber. They're, you know, sourcing that. And so that's not true. And um, I've explored all of those avenues and none of them have ever um, yielded those results for me personally. And so I think in the textile industry and sometimes in the hemp industry, people don't realize that it hasn't really been done because they're like oh well we saw this you know press release or we saw this so yeah it must be happening it's like no it's not um i tried it but also um you know a lot of a lot of smoke and so many smoke and mirrors no there is no hemp plane no there is no hemp water bottle and no there is nobody manufacturing hemp textiles on any commercial scale in north america it's just not happening right Exactly. Not yet. Not yet. Right. We're building it. It's the one one foot. It, it's it's that one foot in front of the other in terms of asking farmers to grow a crop for which there's very little infrastructure and asking investors to invest in infrastructure for which there is only incrementally growing crop. Most folks, as you know, most farmers did grow uh, for extract last year, sort of chasing that uh, unicorn of a million dollars per acre that's never going to happen. And, and, and you're such a hero, such a heroine for creating this market. It's buying hemp. My speeches since 1990 are, if we want to create this market, we must drive it economically. We do that by voting with our dollars. We buy hemp. We create the market. You are, are amazing in that you are delivering to us the items for for us to purchase here. And and how are the the tariffs treating your business right now? I have other f- 
friends, of course, in this industry, Larry Servan of Hemp Traders, who's uh, a longtime, decades-long friend of mine, um, Tyler Frank uh, of Hemptopia. And I know that, you know, these tariffs are, are affecting you, and yet this is your business model. It is built on delivering this fiber and this textile and this finished product. So how are you handling that? Yeah. So... Uh, and we're still, we're a baby. Like I, I had this idea in August of 2017 and then I, um, left Prana and moved home to Jacksonville in 2018. And then I, um, didn't, we did, I didn't do the Kickstarter until this past September. So, um, and we didn't go to market until March and the night we were supposed to have our launch party was when everything hit with COVID. So we're, I guess I just want to give you that context because we have a lot of buzz and we've been building, but um, we truly haven't uh, even really had our first year under our belt. So when I ordered, placed the order for our Kickstarter, um, unfortunately it did come in, uh, you know, right when the tariffs came in, but we haven't been impacted in the sense that we're not at a scale where we're ordering that often, um, where we're thinking about it, but it's definitely because of my background and learning early on, you never want to have all of your production in one place. Um, it did open an opportunity for us to find other partners, um, outside of China. So we do have that now. Um, and I've just been trying to be really strategic. Yeah. We're being really strategic before we, uh, just, you know, with in light of everything that's been happening within the U.S. and globally, um, I wanted to kind of step back um, just to make sure we're really thoughtful with how, even though we love hemp and we know it's really um, what it, what the opportunity is, we know that some people, you know, are just trying to survive right now. Um, so we didn't, yeah. <laughs> Well, and what a what a blessing amongst it all. It's you know it's amazing how the light that gets through the cracks and allows us to move forward with our mission and our vision uh, and our goals. Can you explain to the listeners why it is that you chose him over, particularly for something that is going to be wet? Uh, that you, why you chose him over another fiber? Why is hemp, And I'm going to go ahead and say it superior as a fiber, particularly for something that gets wet and needs to dry. So hemp is superior uh, from its molecular structure being hollow, uh, which allows the water to pass through it and not get stuck. And that was what attracted me to it. And also that it's a, it's biostatic, so it resists the growth of bacteria. And those were, that was really the key component um, for me growing up in Florida, then living in California near the ocean and wanting to make sure that my towels didn't pick up that smell and the water wasn't getting locked. Um, it was really important to find a fiber that was a natural plant fiber that had the performance characteristics that were going to solve those problems. And so um, that's really, you know, what connected me to it was its performance and also being incredibly durable and, um, and made that and natural and then on top of that, then learning about its sustainability being grown and comparing that to conventional cotton and that industry, it was just a no-brainer uh, to, to choose it as a preferred fiber in our product. 
And while we love to blend, hemp is a great blender. And with all due respect to the cotton industry, it's a short, inferior fiber. And the cotton crop takes up over 50% of the world's use of pesticides annually. In walks hemp, <laughs> having reclaimed itself in the broad light of day among America's other agricultural commodities. And, and you do choose a blend. It is the great blender. And you use a very popular and healthy blend of 55% hemp. 45% organic cotton. You're doing that with your towels, the hand towel, uh, the washcloth, and the bath towel, which are large, by the way. I'm so excited to get those. And, of course, your tote bags. And your tote bags <laughs> are, are also unique in that because there's lots of hemp tote bags out there. Um, yours are 16 by 16, but with a five-and-a-half-inch base at the bottom, a, a more square bottom as opposed to – uh, something circular. So I really love that 16 by 16 by 5.5 uh, rectangular bottom. Um, and I notice also that the arbor in everything you do, Deanna, it seeps out of your pores. It seeps out of your website that in everything you do, you walk with conscience. And, and I can tell that. And so the artwork on your tote bags say that they are created in collaboration with local Jacksonville artists. So here you are supporting arts, supporting artists in your own community, thus supporting your community. Um, and that the back of every bag says, not a plastic bag. I love that. What gave you the idea to add tote bags into your offerings of beautiful towels? This is really cool. I never get to really talk about this, but they, so here in Florida, um, we did a Kickstarter and then, that ended at the end of September. And so once the Kickstarter ended, I was like, okay, that was a grueling month. Like we pre-sold 40,000 in sales in one month. Um, that's the first time I've ever done that. I just, you know, I'm going to take a break and recalibrate until the inventory gets here in 2020 and then prepare for going to market um, after that. And uh, then everyone started asking, so what are you doing for the holidays? And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot that we're now like a functioning brand with like people have expectations of me and of this, of an act. It's not just, um, you know, okay, we did the towel and, and, you know, when it's here, we'll be ready. This is now another opportunity for us to have a touch point uh, with, with sharing who we are. And so I brainstormed and I was thinking, you know, we're here to solve problems. We're not here to create stuff. And what can we get behind that will will echo and will will help with that? And around that time, I found out here in Florida that we uh, have a really uh, poor policy on plastic um, bags, meaning that you cannot create legislation to uh, eliminate plastic bags, like in our grocery stores and our retail shops. So it's illegal to ban um, <laughs> plastic. And I thought, and Florida, which was one of the first states to to implement that, um, so it's essentially the opposite of California. And so I thought, well, what if we, you know, I call a factory and I went and found like different bags that I've collected throughout the years and figured out which one I liked, and then said, what if I call them, see if they have any fabric, and we can, you know, in a quick turnaround time, develop these tote bags and get them over here and then we'll screen print them um, calling out the not a plastic bag 
so that people can wear them and bring awareness to this issue here in Florida. But also we'll do like Florida centric prints and just get to play around and see what resonates. And so that's really where it came from. And at the time we really, I just did markets. I probably did like 40 markets over the holidays. And I wanted to be aware there was a lot of people coming in like an older, um, uh, crowd for winter. And so I wanted to like, you know, give a variety of Florida based options and see what resonated with each market or each different demographic. And that's really where it came to life. And we sold out of the sea turtle, um, like before Christmas. And then we have a couple of these, um, prints still left in stock and we're actually going to be doing a special one for the black lives matter movement. Uh, that's going to be coming out next month that I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about that. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am that I asked that question of you. I had no idea (laughs) that there was literally an anti-plastic bag ban law um, uh, in Florida. That's crazy pants. Um, and, And yet here you are, again, a perfect demonstration of in each step that you walk and each decision that you make so carefully thought out. Um, and you use the word sustainability and, and sustainable, and we, and we love those words, and we need those words. And also, you clearly strike me as more of a regenerative gal, because you're saying, how can I, how can I regenerate here um, in, in the decisions that I'm making? And it's just, it's so wonderful. And in fact, you are an activist. The name of your company is an act, one word, and that's global, in fact, is the full name. Of course, your website is anact.com. Um, and before all of your successful career and, and your foray into entrepreneurship, and I'm so glad that we've got you here in Hemp, you, of course, were a fundraising fellow for the Grassroots Reconciliation Group in Uganda, which is in, innovative projects for refugees, former child soldiers, and host communities in northern Uganda. Tell us a little bit about um, your experience in activism. And listeners, we actually had originally scheduled this podcast interview last week, but Miss Brianna had to reschedule because she was caught up in some Black Lives Matters uh, protesting. And uh, we, of course, rescheduled. This is, this is her priority. This is our priority. Um, and it's just amazing the spirit from which you come. Could you tell us a little bit about the work that you did in Uganda? Sure. And thank you so much for, for recognizing that. I think, you know, as we, um, or at least as I'm learning, as you get older, you start to peel back the layer like an onion and look back and think, what was I doing? And how did I get to where I'm at? And so, um, it is, I do, I think it started, um, at an early age, um, with growing up and just my dad was a college basketball coach. And so I was exposed to a lot of inequality through um, going on recruiting trips with him and being that um, here in the U.S. And so I uh, I actually studied in South Africa in college before I got to Uganda. And I wrote a thesis on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and compared the difference of what it looks like to use um, restorative justice mechanisms in post-apartheid uh, or racist societies as a tool to bridge um, to the future. And uh, when I lived in South Africa, a lot of people kept telling me you should really check out East Africa and there's a lot going on. And so when I graduated from college, I uh, 
you know, just had a couple of um, lunches with some influential people in my life at the time and an opportunity came up. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to, this will be my gap year. Um, and so I bought a one-way flight and moved to Northern Uganda and had the the privilege to really get to work in that space with people and learn about their experiences. And we did a lot of market development. So working with farmers to get access to, <laughs> excuse me, pineapple and banana seeds, and then helping figure out the markets that they could then sell to, whether it be hotels and Kampala um, or, you know, mark uh, like the local markets and restaurants. And so that was just an amazing experience. I really miss um, living there. My parents don't miss it, but I do. And um, I would say my big takeaway living there really uh, came from, you know, I'm working in this, this community and, there's been so much devastation from the civil war led by uh, Joseph Coney and the LRA. And, you know, these people, this is their home. <laughs> like, who am I? I can help, right, with certain things, but um, they're going to know how to fix this. They're going to, this is, they're, you know, they're invested. This is their community. And it really started making me think about what are the disconnects in my own community? And like, you know, it gets this, luxury, not luxury, but this exotic, um, you know, component added. If someone says, I went overseas and did X, Y, Z, and that's, that's great. But I think that there's something to be said about staying home and do and seeing ways in which you want to help within your community and, um, and not have to go to someone else, um, to, you know, be a part of that. So that was really my big takeaway and why I wanted to move home after that. And then start to think about how, you know, where are the disconnects here and how can we be a part of doing that and then go global. Um, but I felt like to acknowledge the things I had already seen and knew and had firsthand experience and go into someone else's home and tell them what I thought they should do, just it didn't add up to me. Just so fantastic on, on every level. All of these lessons that hemp gets to be the beneficiary of uh, thanks to you. And folks, you're looking for a gift. You're looking for something that you might actually need and use and that will last for decades. Please, you want the Enact hemp towels. You want the Enact uh, tote bag, hemp tote bag. And boy, Brianna, I so hope, sister, that you will reach out to me just by email or text as soon as those Black Lives Matter tote bags are ready. I mean, I, I, I want for everyone to have your products in their home. Everyone needs your products in each of their homes. Um, and, and yet uh, the, the Black Lives Matter tote bag is just so timely and what a great gift that that will be. And, and I do hope that you will let us know um, when those become available. I will. And I, I forgot to mention, we're doing it in a collaboration with several different local partners here in Jacksonville. But one of the, the photos we're using is a vintage photo shot on it was called um american beach or they called it black beach and it was one of the first beaches in florida that um african-americans could go uh swim um without any issue and so the photo is of uh this woman Gigi, who has a nonprofit based here that um we're going to do a percentage of the proceeds or of our sales will go towards funding um young women of color to get out and learn how to surf this summer. So we're really, really excited about it. 
I'm really excited about it. And I'm so glad to have you on the show. I can't wait to get an update. It's such a pleasure to watch uh, this, this business that you've created develop. I so hope that if you ever need any help, that you will please reach out to me. Um, I've been involved in the industry for many, many years, and I'm just very excited to have you be a part of it, Brianna. Thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Parents today and for everything that you do. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. I really appreciate um, just getting to have a, a really thoughtful conversation. And like you said, I, I think there's um, we're doing this for hemp and, and honoring hemp. It's you know going to be able to help connect us um, towards that more regenerative future that I think we're all craving. So thank you. Perfectly said. Thank you right back. Until next time, Miss Brianna. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.